0: Holy Spirit, just just lead. I trust that you will. Jesus, it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Jude, verse 8, down through verse 16. The title of the sermon is A Profile of a False Shepherd. I enjoy to Netflix and chill. I just do. So no judgment from me to you if you enjoy Netflix. I love it. I love the shows on there. TV has gotten better, it seems to me, over the years. Some of it has gotten more vile and morally just horrific. But some TV shows are unbelievably compelling. One of those TV shows was a show about Ted Kaczynski, the Unabomber. Did anybody see Manhunt, the Unabomber, in here on Netflix? Let me just tell you, you are missing out. Okay, Uh, Scroll through and find Manhunt, the Unabomber, it's a fascinating show. They caught Ted Kaczynski, the Unabomber, through a very unique discipline in forensics. It was a made-up genre for forensics called forensic linguistics. And they studied the manuscript that he published in the, in the Washington Post, and they were able to identify things about the man who wrote the post in the Washington Washington Herald or Washington Post. They were able to, to study the article and discover some things about him. They, they created a psychiatric or a profile about Ted Kaczynski, and they were able to identify that he was probably from Chicago, that he was in his late 50s, early 60s, that he did his PhD work at a certain university at a certain, uh, certain couple years, and just some remarkable things from just the words that were on the page, the printed page. Um, similarly, we are going to create a profile that Jude is going to get for us. We're going to get a profile of a false shepherd, okay? a false leader in the church, and this is strung throughout the book of Jude, and in fact, we're going to be called to learn some things about these false teachers, and learn some things from these false teachers. Now, this is how learning in the Christian life goes, okay? At it, it, its simplest point, it goes like this. If you had a good mom and dad, you want to be like your mom and dad. If you had a bad mom and dad, you want to learn from them how not to be like them. You want to be better than they were, Okay? That's its simplest form. Jude is going to call us to look to these false teachers, and it's almost like he's holding up a sign, and he's saying, don't be like them. If you're a shepherd, if you're a leader, if you're a pastor, don't be like these guys. And then he's going to lay out a profile for us. We're going to see what they are and what they do, This this dynamic. What are they, and what do they do? What are they saying? So we're going to get a profile and we're going to get metaphors. We're going to see the literary genius of the Holy Spirit by telling us some things plainly and then calling us to some metaphors that are quite helpful. And so we're going to look at how to learn positively from negative things. Does that make sense? The passage has a lot to say to pastors. And then secondly, it's going to have some implications for everybody else. So it's going to call us to account, me in particular. We need to remember a few things about the book of Jude. We remember that Jude was the brother of Jesus, the little brother of Jesus. He says some outlandish things, unless he's telling the truth, because he says that his big brother Jesus is his master and Lord, and he says about his big brother Jesus that he is Jesus' servant, and he also says that Jesus is the one who rescued a people from the land of Egypt. Now, Jude is either crazy or he's telling us the truth according to the leading of the Holy Spirit. And that is what, in fact, we believe. So he is Jesus' little brother. He desires for us, as we found out in the very first week of the book of Jude, he desires for some things, some really good things to be multiplied to us. He wants love. To be multiplied, he wants peace to be multiplied, and he wants mercy to be multiplied. So we need to keep that in remembrance as he's giving these warnings, as he's calling us to uh, calling out some things and some people, and telling us about judgment. What he wants for us is the multiplication of love, mercy, and ju- love, mercy, and peace. Those are really good things. And as I he- hear this this morning, I want to be reminded of that because I want some love multiplied, I want some peace multiplied, and I want some mercy multiplied. He wanted to write a letter, this letter that he wrote, he wanted to write a letter about our common salvation. He just wanted to revel in the glory of Jesus. But there were some people and some issues that he had to address. And so he addressed these issues. There were some so-called preachers who were claiming to be grace preachers, but they were, in fact, false shepherds. They were using the grace of God to self-gratify, and they were acting out things in the flesh that were ungodly. And so instead of being grateful for God's grace and pursuing holiness, these people were saying, I love God's grace, therefore I'm going to gratify the sinful, my sinful nature. And so Jude saw these issues and the Holy Spirit would not let Jude let it slide. So Jude began to speak. He began to write. He speaks out. And he's going to give us a profile of a false shepherd. Look at verse 8 in the book of Jude. Yet in like manner... These people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. We're going to get a fourfold example of what arrogance in the pastorate looks like. fourfold example. Number one, we're told that these false teachers or false shepherds are relying on their dreams. Number two, they're defiling the flesh. Number three, they're rejecting authority. And number four, they're blaspheming the glorious ones. First, they're relying on their dreams. In other words, they trust in other things more than they trust in God's word. These false teachers were relying on things they should not rely on. Not that the things they were relying on were necessarily always wrong, but they were setting other things with God's Word, and they were relying on things that were not God's Word. And they were appealing to those things. And they were giving the people visions and dreams. We talked about that. We're praying for true visions and dreams for people across the world. But they were giving people these ideas and these compelling visions, and they were saying, now you rally around me. You follow what I have to say. And they were trusting in things they should not have trusted in. And they were calling other people to trust in those things. It goes like this. A pastor who regularly has to say, You just need to trust me. More than he's saying, This is what God's Word says. You need to be aware. Something might be going wrong. Something might be going awry. A man or a woman who's always telling you, Just trust me. Just trust me. But is not appealing to anything other than what they think. you you probably either need to call them out on that or just run. And the people that Jude was addressing were people who were just appealing to things that were not the true authority over and over and over again. They were sitting down and saying, you just need to trust me. You just need to trust me. This is what I have seen. This is what I have heard. And instead of trusting in what God says, they wanted people to trust in what they said. And there's a big difference between me standing up here and saying, here's what I think and here's what I feel and you need to trust me than opening God's Word and saying, here's what God says. And we need to be aware of the difference. You need to be aware of the difference. But it wasn't the only thing they were doing. Not only were they relying on dreams, they were defiling the flesh. So as previously stated, they were using grace as a way to go out and act sinfully with their bodies. In 1 Corinthians, we're told that our body is not our own. We were bought with a price, so we are to glorify God with our bodies. And these people, these men in particular, were using the message of the gospel to sin with their bodies sexually and in other ways. And it should not be. They were defending themselves. They were defiling the flesh. It ought not be. Third, they were rejecting authority. So they were the head honchos. They were in charge. They were the ones who had all authority. False shepherds don't want anyone to listen to anybody else but them. They'll encourage you not to read, not to study your Bible, just listen to me. You you can't handle that? You need to hear from me what the truth is. They were rejecting any sort of authority. False teachers don't want to submit to anybody and certainly don't want to submit to a congregation. Because you're too lowly. You don't have the spirit in the same way that these false teachers would claim to have the spirit. You need me is what false teachers want you to think. And they were also, fourthly, blaspheming the glorious ones. Most likely this is speaking of angels. They're blaspheming the very things, the very beings that God sends out to protect them. And they were blaspheming the messengers or the angels of God. And there's a whole lot of arrogance in this. When you see somebody that doesn't listen to anybody, they're always right. And they always want to teach you, but they never want to learn anything from you. The arrogance, it just, it just, it just wears like a shirt. You just, everywhere they go, it's just, you just see it. It's just arrogance. It's pride. And you see this in these false teachers, where they don't want to listen to anybody, but they always want to teach you something. You ever met somebody like that? Are you like that? These people, simply, simply put, they're not teachable. They just want to teach. Because they got all the answers. They're in charge. They're blaspheming the very ones. There's so much arrogance to blasphemy. And Jude, in verses 9 and 10, he's going to use a culturally known story, a non-biblical story, but a culturally known story to show how arrogant these people were. In verse 9, you can read along with me, but when the archangel Michael contended with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce judgment, pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, "Lord, rebuke you." But these people blaspheme all they do not understand, and they are destroyed by all that they like unreasoning, unreasoning animals understand instinctly. So in this story, there is an archangel. Michael, and he is arguing or disputing with the devil about the body of Moses. Kind of weird, right? We don't know where this story comes from. It doesn't come from the Old Testament. But what he's essentially doing is what what the Apostle Paul did in the book of Acts when he said, and he appealed to some of the Greek poets, he says, as some of your poets have said, in him we live and move and have our being. Remember that in Acts 17? There's a song about it. I sang for you last week, so I'm not going to sing for you this week but it's in Him we live and move and have our being. He quotes their own prophets. He quotes their own poets. And in like manner, Jude is taking a story that people would have been familiar with even though it wasn't necessarily a biblical account and he's using it as an example to try to fill in the gaps. He's trying to describe, here's how arrogant these false teachers are. Even in this story, Michael, the archangel, the archangel... He didn't even presume to pronounce judgment, but he left judgment up to God. False teachers do presume in everything they do and everywhere they go. False teachers run about as if they are the ultimate authority for everyone. They claim to be the judge of everything and everyone They do not know their place as Michael in this story knew his place. Arrogance just runs through their veins. They're the authority on everything, according to verse 10. If it doesn't make sense to them, then it must be wrong. Humility is the exact opposite of what they walked in. Um, False teachers, it's saying have no framework of understanding that God's ways are higher than our ways and that God's thoughts are higher than their thoughts or our thoughts. A false teacher, according to verse 10, it's whatever they think naturally, whatever makes sense to them, they're not comfortable with appealing to God and saying, God, you, what you have to say is right even if I don't understand it. A false teacher, don't, they don't know their place. And so they reject anything that... Ha- that comes from the scriptures, comes to them that's different than what they just naturally think. It's just whatever I think is right. And so they run around and they say what I think is right. And you know what? Regardless if there's any other authority to appeal to, I want you to believe what I think is right is right and what I think is wrong is wrong. And you don't need to know about any other authority. I don't need to appeal to God or anything else. It's because of just what I say. It's just what I say. And there's really pretty and flowery ways to say that, better than what I just did, to bring people in to say, oh, you know what? You you know what? You do know what you're talking about. I do need to listen to you. These false teachers were setting themselves up as a spiritual authority and then asking you to believe in them more than believe in God. This is what false teachers or false shepherds do. Michael knew his place. The false shepherds didn't. So... If Jude is writing about false teachers, it's kind of like he's showing us like a big sign and and giving us a list. And, And like I said as I started the sermon, it's like he's holding up a sign to pastors in churches and saying, Don't be like this. There are nuggets of truth here for me, personally. There are nuggets of truth for other pastors. What is the opposite of of the behaviors that are on display in these bad, false teachers. What's the opposite? Because if we can have a profile to the negative, we can, in some sense, kind of look at these characteristics that have gone bad or that are wrong, flip it on its head, and say, okay, now here's what's right and good. There are implications for true shepherds. So it goes like this. If false shepherds rely on other things than God's Word, a true shepherd should rely on nothing to the extent that he relies on God's Word. A true shepherd loves God's Word. It's like he can chew on it and eat it and taste it. And it's so good, he almost wants to roll it up and smoke it. He loves it. It's just he wants it to be a part of his the fabric. A true shepherd loves to hear from God and loves to submit to God's Word, even if it's not understandable at times or even if it's confusing at times. We trust, a true shepherd is to trust God's Word as its ultimate authority. What God says goes, true shepherds do this, know this. I want you to know what God says. And I want you to know that I am fallible. God is infallible. My interpretations of the Bible at times can be infallible. God's Word is never... God's Word is never... Uh, f- flawed, Fla- I read a Dr. Seuss book last night, and there were tongue twisters through the whole thing, and apparently that's carried over, and today, I think that was that book that Joe and Amanda got us last night, we read, or somebody got a book last night, and we read it, and it was, the, it was impossible to read, Dr. Seuss book, it was like, the, the reading level in that was like, you had to have two doctorates to read through it, it was amazing, God's word is not in error. And the appeal of true shepherds is to say, hey, you know what? If we have God's Word in our home, if you have it on your phone, wherever you go, listen to it. Read it. Study it. Get a reading regiment. Pray. Get in there. You don't need me to hear from God. You, I want to tell you to read your Bible. Study it. Memorize it. Hear from Him. We have access to God's Word through the week and you have the Holy Spirit. I don't have extra measures of the Holy Spirit. Neither does any pastor. You, the priesthood of all believers, is the belief and the commitment to the reality that God, the Holy Spirit, dwells in you. And so, open the Bible, read, study. This is what true shepherds are to do. Call you to God's word, not my word. You don't need to hear from me. You need to hear from me in so much as I call you to hear from Him. Okay, secondly, true shepherds don't use grace to defile the body. So, if we use that and, and flip it on its head, the second point is true shepherds love the gospel of grace and seek to honor the Lord with our body. We don't want to use God's grace as a pass for any area of ungodliness in our life. True shepherds look at every area of their life, and when the Holy Spirit reveals it, seeks to repent to ask their spouse. So if I see an area of my life that's in the wrong, or and I even invite Jordan, and, and she can tell me a few areas. I mean, if she thinks long and hard enough, a few areas that I need to grow. Um, when God reveals things that need to change then there's, it's like, hey, I, I need a team around me. It's just not just me and Jesus. Like, baby, help me with this. And then, and then other pastors, help me with this. And people in the church, help me. I need to change. This is an area of ungodliness in my life. And I will not stop fighting this area of sin or temptation until the day I die. Until the day Christ returns, I'm going to stay in the fight. But I'm not going to turn over and just die to say, whatever. If God wants to deliver me this, from this, He can. I'm going to fight. Because true shepherds don't use grace as a ticket for sensuality. They use grace as the pathway to godliness. God, help me. In gratitude, I don't want to sin anymore. Jesus, I want to humbly follow you all the days of my life. True shepherds want to live Christ-like and humbly serve other people. So, third thing, if false shepherds reject authority, okay? because after all they're in charge and they know everything, then real or true shepherds invite accountability into their life and look for ways to submit their lives, not just to other leaders, but to you. According to Galatians, you have authority here. The book of Galatians, God calls the congregation, the churches, to account for the false teaching. If there's false teaching in your midst... At some point, you're responsible for that. For allowing it, sitting under it, not addressing it. God calls the congregation to an account. The implication for me is I need to submit my life to you. There is a degree to which I have, by God's grace, authority over your lives and you, by God's grace, have authority over my life. And the Christian life is looking, it's not about looking for other ways for other people to submit to you. It's about looking for ways that you can submit to other people. To defer as if they are more significant than yourself. A true shepherd wants to submit to other pastors and to their congregations. They don't reject authority. True shepherds will look for mentors. They will look for accountability partners that are not just... They do want accountability partners that they are pouring into, but true shepherds humbly look to men in particular who are older and say, "Come alongside of me, and I want to learn from you." They don't reject authority. Fourth, false shepherds have no greater authority than their own mind, but true shepherds submit their thoughts to God's word ultimately and say, "God, you shape me." Okay, here's my mind. God, it's this is my Bible. Okay? Yeah. Osteen says, I am what it says I am, and I do what it says, whatever it is. Okay, here's it is. He is who he says he is. Okay? That's, that's the deal. We don't come to the Bible and say, hey, I'm the point. I am who it says. No, no, no. He is who he says he is. This book's about him. Okay? So we look at the Bible, and it's like this. It's like if we could take our mind out and just kind of rip it out and just pull out our heart, our affections, and just rip it out, slap it on the page. A shepherd, instead of just saying, whatever makes sense to me, that's the authority. You guys need to get in line. True shepherds then are to say, God, I'm shapeable by your grace. And whatever your word says, help me to say yes. And not just help me to say yes, I believe it, but then help me to love it. Because there's going to be some things in here that are hard that I don't at first love. So I want to look at it Say, God, I want my mind to be shaped by you, and I want my heart, my affections, my feelings to also be shaped accordingly. This is what true, a true shepherd is to do, is to come and to submit to God's word and say, "God, I am not my own." And I don't want to offer myself to the people and just say, "Here, I'm here, just think like me and, and be like me. I want to submit myself and say, "God, what you say in here, that's what I want to think." What you say in here, I don't just want to think this way, I want to feel this way. And so when you say something's true, I don't want to say, I believe it, I just don't like it. And although that may be true for a while, I want to, by the grace of God, get to the point where I say, God, not only do I believe that, but I love that. Actually, I feel that, I love it, and I thank you, because your ways are higher than my ways, and your thoughts are higher than my thoughts. And so I, I submit to you, and I trust you. So that's what true shepherds are to do. These implications come rolling out and slamming into me. And they come out to you as well, who have responsibilities and authority in this congregation. To call me into account, call other shepherds into account, and most likely, you and our faith family here, most likely there's going to be a day where you either move, or God calls you to another assembly or somewhere else, and you need to be aware to be looking out for these things. What are these shepherds like? What are they like? Are they always telling me to trust them. They just, just trust me, just trust me. Are they always ask me to buy into their vision. And they call me to the word, in simple humility of following Jesus. Verse 11, Jude is going to use more uh, literary genius when he calls out words of warning, and he says, "Woe to them!" Woe to who? Verse 11, look what it says. Woe to them, for they walk in the way of Cain and abandon themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion. We get these historical accounts. He said these false shepherds, they're walking around like this. They're walking in the way of Cain. They're living like Balaam and walking in Balaam's error. And it's like they're also going to perish in Korah's rebellion. So what are the, these three examples that Judas, as he's filling these descriptions and the gaps for us, to help us understand and visualize, what are these false teachers like? Well, he says they walk in the way of Cain, so these men are jealous men. What God has given them and what's around them is never enough. False shepherds live out of jealousy, not out of love. They're jealous for your reverence, they're jealous for your praise, they're jealous for this, revere me, look to me. They want their name to be known the way Cain is looking at the lives that other people have and saying, oh, I just want that. And pastoral ministry, unfortunately, the, the, the damage that's done in pastoral ministry, so often even at pastor's conferences, you walk around and the whole thing is just jealousy because you hear the preacher up there preaching about how wonderful their congregation is and how big it is and how there were 37 baptisms. We've had two this year. And praise God! Praise God for that. But then I hear these others and all these stories of, yeah, we baptized 672 people last week. I'm like, really? I don't know if I'll get to do that in a lifetime. Two, and so what ends up happening is is like, if you'll just do this, you'll have 775 baptisms this, this next week as well. And they play on this. This jealousy, and I can't judge the hearts of every single pastor that's up at big conferences. Don't hear me hating on conferences. We're going to be having one, by the way. And so the hearts of these men walking around like, Ooh, 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 if I could only have what God's doing there, if I could only have what did, I would be happy. The way of Cain is the way of jealousy. It's the way of even doing sinful things to get what you want. Cain killed his brother Abel. Balaam's error is another description for us of these false shepherds. Balaam did a lot of things right. He appealed to God's word. If you go back in numbers and read the story of Balaam, it's fascinating. I did it, and I kind of was confused at first. It was kind of a head scratcher. Balaam seems to be a pretty good guy. He's mean to his donkey. you know? His donkey talks back to him, and he doesn't freak out, by the way. Like he just starts talking to his donkey. Now, if you had an animal, a pet, donkey, or whatever, and it talked to you, would you just have the conversation, or would you run? <laughs> I mean, I would run, you know, or get a video out, or i got to make some money on this, you know, whatever it may be. <laughs> Balaam's here. Yeah, that's no, good, thank you. See, it calls us to account. So there was a a man, Balak, who came from Moab, not the people of God, and wanted Balaam to come and cast judgment on Israel for Moab, to come bring curses on Israel. And he comes to him and, no, I can't do that. But he comes to a second time to Balaam and says, I'll give you the riches, basically, of Moab. And then Balaam says, well, let me pray about it. And he goes and prays about it that night. And he does, of course, go back and say, I'll only speak what God has me speak. But what was his motive? Well, in this passage, we're told, Balaam's error, for the sake of gain, to Balaam's error. These false teachers would say and do anything to fill their pockets with cash. They were motivated, as Balaam, by the wealth of something. Balaam was motivated by the wealth of Moab. The bigger, better, highest paying gig possible, Balaam wanted it. The appeal was there. Certainly, yeah, I want to be faithful in this. But false shepherds are never satisfied. The church is never big enough. There's never enough money. The budget's never big enough. It's got to be bigger the next year, the bigger the next year, the bigger the next year. Our budget this year is projected to be bigger than last year, by the way. But if there comes a day where our budget in a year, our budget is less than the year before, it doesn't mean we're being unfaithful and it isn't a bad thing. But Balaam's heir is like so many shepherds or so-called shepherds today. They're never satisfied. They want more, more respect, more money, more power, more this. It's never enough, ever. It's got to be more. So many shepherds today are CEOs carrying around a shepherd's staff. This is not a business. Businesses are not evil. But this assembly is not one. The church is not one. And then he compares it to Korah's rebellion. Well, Korah enviously got out of line and he... And Andy reminded me this this week. It, it, he enviously got out of line and he led a revolt against Moses. And so there's this dialogue back and forth and God literally judges him by opening Korah and the rebellious people. He opens the earth. They all fell in and the earth closed up. <laughs> and this rebellion against God's man, Moses, this rebellion against God's authority, God wouldn't allow it. And Korah and the rebellious people were <laughs> swallowed up. In summary, these so-called grace preachers, they're really in it for themselves. They're sly, they're quick-witted, they're good talkers. They can rally people around them and raise a lot of money for big, big things to do big things for God. But really, it's not about big things for God at all, it's about big things for themselves. False shepherds. But Jude continues on. You'd think it'd be enough, but he begins to give us metaphors. And metaphors can be so helpful. Metaphors help us when plain language isn't just enough. God comes in and gives us some metaphors to understand the danger of these false teachers. The danger is apparent. We get six metaphors. He's going to tell us these six. Let me read them for you. These are hidden reefs at your love beast as they feast with on you feast with you without fear shepherds feeding themselves waterless clouds swept away by the winds fruitless trees in late autumn twice dead uprooted wild waves of the sea casting up foam of their own shame wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever ever we have these six metaphors they're hidden reefs shepherds feeding themselves waterless clouds swept away by the wind fruitless trees dead vines in late autumn, wild waves, and wandering stars. So, hidden reefs at your communion feast, at your love feast. A boat is going toward a lighthouse. There is a reef underneath the water. Everything seems fine. And all of a sudden, the boat hits the reef and it goes underwater. It doesn't make it to its destination. Everything looks clear, smooth sailing. And it hits a reef and it's destroyed. The false teachers are like this everything looks good. There's a pretty veneer. It looks like they're helping you go where you need to go. And all of a sudden, the pile up of the years of being led in a bad way or an unfaithful way, like in a moment, it's crashed to the reef. And now you're in trouble and in the water. True shepherds should be more like a guide pointing you to the lighthouse, Jesus, and saying, come on, here, there's there's something to navigate here. Instead of being the hidden reef... We're the one pointing out and saying, shepherds are those who say, if you'll navigate here, navigate here. We're walking to Jesus. And I'm going to put my arm around you and we're going to navigate these waters together. And we're going to do this together. And I need your help and you need my help. But instead of being the reef in the water that leads to the destruction of the vessel, we're the ones saying, there's the lighthouse. There's Jesus. This is where we go." And Follow me as I follow Christ. We're going to Him together. Come on, help me out. That's what true shepherds do. There are also shepherds feeding themselves, the second metaphor. They look at the starving sheep and they look out there, and their first instinct is to to ask them for food. Hey, give me more. Give me more. Will you please get on board with my mission? Give me more. And they'll ridicule people who will say, I need to be fed. No, you don't need to be fed. Just get on board. Yeah, you do need to be fed. Jesus comes along and says, feed my sheep. For the last several years, church members have been so beat up because they've said, I think I need to be fed. And people are said back, you just need to learn to feed yourself. There's some truth in that. But Jesus said to Peter, just a baseline of Christian ministry and pastoral work is, feed my sheep. Don't look at them and ask them to get behind what you're doing. Give them food. Here, eat. This is a meal for you today. Eat some food. Shepherds feeding themselves, look at the starving flock, and they ask them to go get bread for them. Hey, constituents, feed me. All the while... They're walking around starving. Also, the third metaphor is waterless clouds swept along by the wind. They look like these these clouds look like they bring life and sustenance, but they're here and then they're gone. True shepherds bring life, water to dry souls or to dry land. The metaphor is these false teachers just look like they've got what you need, but they don't. And then they're gone. Fruitless trees. Twice dead, uprooted, fruitless in the late autumn. They offer no real fruit. It's like a pig with makeup. Still a pig. There's a saying that goes along with that that's better than what I just said. True shepherds bear fruit. They grow. They have fruit in late autumn because they've walked with the Lord. Jesus is bringing fruit. The great vine dresser is Putting fruit on there and taking away bad fruit and putting on new fruit. They're like wild waves. I was talking to Kurt this week and he talked to me about rogue waves that take out ships. The Queen Mary almost succumbed. A big big vessel, a passenger vessel was out. And in the ocean, there's these huge waves that will come out and they will just crash into ships and boats. You don't know where they came from. You don't know where they're going. But it'll take out entire massive passenger vessels. Massive. I mean hundreds and fifty. Big waves. Big waves. Big waves, wild waves, and true shepherds are the opposite. They're like calm waters. And I pray that I'm like this. I want to be like this. When I'm trying to just rigorously get, get, get being in a hurry and always being busy out of my life, a pastor who's busy, Eugene Peterson says, that is an affront to pastoral ministry. If you're just busy all the time doing busy work and you don't have time for people, that's not pastoral work. As I rigorously try to fight busyness out of my life, I want you when I'm in your presence and you're in my presence. It's just there's a calm. Like there ought to be a way when you're around true shepherds, where you're around them, and you know what? There's peace that comes. Just I'm praying regularly, even in my home. God, help me be an agent of peace. And then I skip up the stairs singing, and my son's like, "Dad, it's too early." Like, I want to be an agent of peace where there's calm waters where you can look over and see the stars and you can, you're in, in the presence of true shepherds. There's just a quietness of soul. A man who lives life different than the world. You don't always have to be in a hurry. <laughs> Wandering stars, the last metaphor. They don't stay put. True shepherds know where God has them and are willing to stay there and stand their ground Here's the deal. I pray by God's grace. I get to be, by your grace, shepherds at this church, at this assembly, the rest of my life. My role will change. I won't always be the main one preaching here one day. But God's called us here. And I, by God's grace, I don't want to go anywhere. I want to be here. I'm not looking for bigger churches. not checking out resume or blog posts or things online to climb a ladder. God's called us to not be wandering stars. Certainly God calls some people to go and start churches and be around and bigger, go do a bunch of stuff. But I don't want to be a wandering star. The sad reality is that God's people have always had false shepherds. Their false shepherds aren't anything new. Not new to the church, not new to the New Testament. Ezekiel chapter 34, I want to read this. And I promise you, i I give you my word. I know what I'm saying here. I'm almost done. I'm not going to take, I won't go very much longer. But I want to go to Ezekiel. 34, 1-12, through 12, and just listen to this. You don't even have to flip there. Just listen to me. Listen to God's Word. Listen to me. Ugh. Okay, listen to God's Word. And then, you, you turn there. Study it. It's really there. Okay. Uh, 34, 1-12. through 12. The Word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God, all shepherds of Israel who have, not been, who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds... Feed the sheep, you eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought, brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have, you have ruled them. So they're scattered, because there was no shepherd And they're all over the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered all over the face of the earth, with none to search or seek for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord, as I live, declares the Lord. Surely because my sheep have become prey, and my sheep have become food for all the wild beasts. Since there was no shepherd, and because my shepherds have not searched for my sheep, but the shepherds have fed themselves and have not fed my sheep. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against the shepherds, and I will require my sheep at their hand, and put stop to feeding, put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths, that they may not be food for them. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself, will search for my sheep, and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep. And I will rescue them from all places from where they have been scattered on the day of clouds and thick darkness. God calls out to the shepherds. Calls out against them for not doing their work. And He says, forget it. I will come and be the shepherd of the sheep. In John 10, We'll be starting the book of John here soon. In John 10, we get this amazing passage. And I want you to hear a couple verses because we have this bad news. Where are the shepherds? Where are the true shepherds? We need a shepherd. Even the best of them have gone awry. In John chapter 10, verse 3 and 4 and verse 11, we have some good news. I want you to hear this. And this is good news for a shepherd. It's who I am. My fifth calling is a shepherd. After being a Christian, after being a After being a husband, after being a father, and after being a friend, I've got this great and noble calling called the pastor. Verse 3, it says this To him, the gatekeepers, the sheep, hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Look in verse 11 I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus is the truest of all shepherds, the true shepherd, the real shepherd. He has gone off, gone out, and found the wandering sheep. The lost, the broken, the hurting, the one who needs compassion, the one who needs to be pulled away from the wolves. The ones who are all alone. Jesus has come and He has found these sheep. He is the faithful shepherd. He is the one. He is the lead pastor of His church. He has found us. Sheep, He came for you. He's the true shepherd who loves you. And we shepherds here, shepherds, to be a true shepherd, non-Jesus, an under-shepherd. We are under-shepherds who desperately and joyfully cling to Jesus. Here is the main difference between a true and false shepherd. A true shepherd, true pastor, knows his sheepiness intimately. I am a sheep in need of a shepherd. I desperately need Jesus. False shepherds don't believe that because they've got it all together. They don't really need Jesus, but they offer themselves to the sheep. They don't offer Jesus. A true shepherd offers Jesus to the sheep. A false shepherd offers himself to the sheep, and you don't need another man. You don't need another leader. You need Jesus. That's what you need. That's what I need. When we flip back to Jude, we find that there are consequences. There are consequences here for gloom and utter darkness has been reserved for these false teachers forever. Judgment is coming to false teachers. The forever home of false teachers is gloom and utter darkness. And as we fill in the gap, fire, dark fire apparently, gloom, utter darkness forever, these metaphors for this existence that is not good, and it's reserved forever for people like them. In verse 14 to 16, one final point is made. It's been told of old, another story from Enoch, that judgment comes for the ungodly, and for the sake of time, we'll leave it at that. Judgment comes for the ungodly. So what? Conclusion remarks. So what now? False shepherds trust in themselves. False shepherds trust in themselves. They gather people around them who will think much of them, but they don't care for the flock. They don't see themselves as sheep, desperate, needy. But we are called to trust, not in good shepherds, but the good shepherd. Under shepherds are, before their shepherds, sheep. And a pastor who doesn't understand himself to be a sheep, like I said, will offer themselves and not Jesus. And you need to hear it again. I am not your Savior. No one will be in heaven because of me. Everyone will be in heaven who's there because of Jesus and Jesus alone, the good shepherds. Pastors are sheep in need of a shepherd. That's the key. I learn to shepherd people. This is how this impacts me by knowing and walking with my shepherd. That's how shepherds lead the people. We learn to shepherd people by knowing and walking with our shepherd, Jesus. So here's my prayer my prayer for myself and for our pastors is that we will always, 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 and hold us accountable to this, view ourselves as sheep in need of a shepherd. And I want to always learn to shepherd by how He is loving and shepherding me. And so I will be effective in ministry insofar as I gather people, not around my vision or my plan or the elders' shared vision or shared plan, we will be effective in ministry in so much as that we gather people around the good shepherd. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that you are the good shepherd, the shepherd of the sheep. And now we have an opportunity to sing to you. We get to sing to you. I get to sing to you. And so... Each person here, wherever you're sitting right now, I want you to okay, think about this. I want you to think about Jesus who is your shepherd. And you're a sheep. So am I. We are sheep. And we ran off. We don't need no shepherd running off, going around. And Jesus comes and tenderly brings us back into the fold. And He loves us. He takes care of us. He came to live a perfect life and die in our place and come alive again. He is the Good Shepherd. And I want you to think about in your mind and your heart, I pray that your mind is stirred and your heart and your affections are stirred as well. And think about the words that we get to sing. And I pray and I just ask that joy would just overflow in our hearts for the Good Shepherd, King Jesus. It's in His name we pray. Amen. Let's sing. Let's sing to Jesus, the Good Shepherd who laid down His life for us.